Welcome to the AJHP podcast series. The American Journal of Health System Pharmacy is the official journal of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, an association of pharmacists committed to helping patients make the best use of medications. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org. This is William Zelmer. I'm a contributing editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy, and this interview relates to the journal's publication of a summary of the Pharmacy Residency Capacity Stakeholders Conference, which was held in February 2011. That conference was planned by ASHP and four other pharmacy organizations, and its purpose was to develop recommendations on how to increase the number of pharmacy residency training programs to better meet the demand for such training. Speaking with me are two members of the ASHP staff, Douglas Shekelhoff, who is Vice President of the ASHP Office of Professional Development, and Janet Teeters, Director of the ASHP Accreditation Services Division. Doug, let me start with you. What do we know about the extent to which pharmacists currently practicing in hospitals and health systems have residency training, and what are the projected trends in this regard? Well, Bill, we have measured the percentage of hospital and health system pharmacists that have completed residency training for a number of years now through the ASHP National Survey. And our most recent data was in 2010, summer of 2010. And with that data, our respondents indicated that a little over 17% of all pharmacists practicing in hospitals and health systems had completed a PGY-1 residency. The percentage is higher in larger hospitals. It's more in the 25 to 30% range when you look at hospitals larger than 400 beds. And it's smaller. It's, it's more in the 8 to 10% range when you look at hospitals that are less than 200 beds. But as we've monitored this over time, we do continue to see a growth in the percentage of pharmacists who have completed a residency. And given the growth in residency training program and residency graduates, we expect this trend to continue. Janet, of course, it was concern about the gap between the demand for residency training and the number of physicians available that led to this conference that was conducted earlier in 2011. Could you quantify for us uh, that gap? And again, what are the projected trends in terms of supply and, and demand for residency training? Sure, Bill. Um, we watched the national matching service trends fairly closely. And since 2007, we have seen an increase in the number of new graduates that are seeking these postgraduate year one residency positions. However, in the year 2009 to 2010, there was a significant growth in the number of new applicants. We saw 16% more applicants going into the 2010 match year, while the number of new positions only grew by 4% that year. Traditionally, we had grown by 10%, but only 4% new positions that year. So basically, we had 2,915 candidates looking at 1,951 positions. So the gap was 964 candidates that were unable to get a residency position because there were not enough positions. Whenever you see something hit almost 1,000 individuals that are unable to secure a residency just due to lack of positions, this really was a wake-up call for us that we decided we really needed to increase the awareness of this issue 
and begin to develop some strategies to increase the number of postgraduate year one residency positions. Therefore, ASHP decided to convene the Pharmacy Residency Stakeholders Conference. I guess the good news in the 2011 match that happened right after the conference, uh, we did have people go back from the conference and actually increase the number of residency positions that were offered. And the number of positions increased by 11% for postgraduate year ones. However, there were still a significant number of candidates that applied for these positions, and we had 1,104 people that were unable to get a residency in a postgraduate year one area because still not enough positions. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that over the next several years, we'll see increased growth in the number of residency positions that we can offer, but we really would need to probably double the amount of residency positions that we offer to be able to meet this demand. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd just like to add, it's not just the demand by the applicants, It's also demand by the people hiring these individuals that we are seeing an increased demand for people looking for residency-trained individuals. I see. Well, Doug, um, I know this issue has been studied very carefully by ASHP and others. Uh, What is sort of the consensus about the major factors that are believed to have led to this trend of a growing gap between demand and supply? There are a number of, of factors that are contributing to this. Certainly, one is the increasing number of pharmacy graduates. And so, as there are considerably more graduates than just a few years ago, I think individual students, as they enter their their career and they graduate, are really seeking to differentiate themselves. And so, you know, completing a residency is one way to do that. So, we do see an interest from that, that perspective. We also, with the current economy and the number of pharmacy jobs that are uh, available, we've also seen you know, less demand. And so students figure that I don't have multiple jobs to choose from. Maybe this is a good time for me to continue my training and a residency program is a good way to do that. And then I think another factor certainly is as graduating students look at the practice model of the future and what pharmacists are likely to be to be doing, they're seeing that obtaining that residency training is going to better position them for a role in that advanced practice model and taking care of patients. There, of course, has been growth in residency training, not only in hospitals, and growth in demand, not only for hospital positions, but also in other areas of practice. And I wonder to what extent does that interest for preparation for practice outside of the health system setting contribute to this issue? I think it plays a role, and we do see as pharmacists are taking on either new roles or expanded roles outside of health systems, that uh, that certainly residency training can be a, a, a great way to, to prepare for some of those advanced roles. I think that realistically, the biggest driver in terms of the gap is, is really within health system settings, and it's with PGY1 residents, and that probably is the, the biggest driver overall. Janet, there were some very interesting ideas identified at the conference for helping close uh, this gap, and one of those uh, dealt with a change in the model for residency training. Exactly what does that mean? I guess we'd have to look at our current model, and currently I guess you would describe our residency training as characterized as more of a one-to-one ratio of one resident to one preceptor, and on average, we only have about two residents per program that we have in the postgraduate year one area. The model that they were proposing at the conference was more similar to what you might see in the medical residency training model, 
where there may be multiple residents or layers of residents, a postgraduate year one, a postgraduate year two, and some students all together. However, a key person there is an attending. So they're actually proposing a pharmacist attending that would have new roles and responsibilities that perhaps they'd oversee a group of four individuals. There might be some postgraduate year one, maybe a postgraduate year two, and the attending pharmacist. And the attending pharmacist in this group of residents would have responsibility for a group of, let's say, internal medicine patients. Another concept they talked about, which also comes from the medical model, was describing a chief resident. So you might have a new level of a residency called a postgraduate year three, perhaps, that would help with some of the administrative oversight of teaching a larger group of residents, and they also would have some clinical responsibilities and teaching responsibilities. Another concept that came out was that really the resident, we should see them as a practitioner learner. Um, they're licensed as a pharmacist. We maybe should um, take a higher level of accountability and that we could accelerate a little bit faster than what we're doing traditionally now with residencies. And I guess the beauty of this model that they're proposing is that the profession and the institution could actually expand services at the same time that they're implementing this new model that is also expanding the number of residency positions that we have. So this new model could actually help to cost justify getting some of these new positions at this time. Sure. Was there any estimate made at the conference that if uh, residency training programs were to change their model in these ways, how much of a gain would be achieved by that? There were some rough estimates, and basically the group really thought we could probably double what we have now just by taking the programs that currently exist and have many of them start looking at this model. So I think pretty significant game if we look at this model. Right. Doug, one of the things that the conference did was to highlight uh, a number of innovations that some residency programs have made in their efforts to expand uh, positions for residents. Uh, could you give us a flavor of what some of those leading innovations are? Sure. There were a number of different ideas and examples that came out uh, in, in the conference on what people had tried and what had been successful. One example that was uh, of interest to many people was using a centralized administration model for residency programs, uh, especially in hospitals that were smaller and potentially in a more rural location. And there is a certain amount of administrative activity that, that happens with coordinating a residency program. And they found that by having a centralized process for doing that, it made program management more efficient and more possible to have residents in uh, some of these smaller, uh, more rural hospitals. Other examples that came up were the use of uh, distance technology to help support remote rotations or residencies, the use of simulation to help assess competencies and, and train for rare events with residents, and there was a lot of discussion around the idea of non-traditional residencies and non-traditional residency sites. And a non-traditional residency, uh, for example, might be one that still meets all of the residency accreditation requirements for the resident, but it may not be in a continuous 12-month time frame. And so there may be months that the, the resident is, is on as a resident and, and months that they're off. And so it may be over 24 months, for example. The non-traditional residency sites that were that were talked about were, were those in ambulatory settings, community health centers, urgent or minute clinics, and some long-term care settings that traditionally have not had a large number of residents. So 
there was a lot of discussion and a lot of ideas that I think will, uh, over time, result in an increased uh, opportunity for residency mm -hmm. training. As we draw our conversation to a close here, uh, Janet, let me ask you, what's next in terms of implementing the key ideas that came out of the conference? Well, Bill, I think you're going to see from each of the stakeholder organizations, they're really going to increase the number of programs that they offer at their meetings about how do I start a residency, how do I expand capacity, and how to prepare individuals to be these preceptors and program directors and maybe some of these new roles that we've talked about. At the ASHP mid-year clinical meeting and the next National Residency Preceptors Conference that will be held in August 2012, uh, we'll be showcasing programs that have already begun to make some of these changes, and hopefully they'll be able to sh share how did they do it, what was the success, and that can help other people um, follow that same pathway. And we have had the a ASHP Commission on Credentialing hold a retreat, and they actually discussed what are some changes they may consider with the rewrite of the next residency standard, uh, which is anticipated to occur in 2013 and 2014. And maybe that will help allow expansion of programs while still maintaining quality training. I guess we hope to see a lot more articles written in the journals to help provide guidance and showcase as well. And a few things you might actually just hear at some of the meetings is there's a few slogans that I guess kind of came out of this conference. One of them was just take one more. Uh, we all decided if every residency program we had now just took one more resident, that would have helped our 1,000 people gap. We also heard the saying, see one, do one, create one, which has to do with as we have more residents who see our students who see residencies, they go and do a residency. Our hope is that they will be there to help create more residencies into the future. And then finally, we heard a little slogan that was take a pair, uh, that if you're really starting a residency program, it's a lot of work to do it. You might as well take two instead of just one. And so really now it is up to all of our organizations in the prof profession really to move forward and see what we can do to help prepare the workforce for the future and create more capacity for these people looking for these positions. Mm -hmm. And we will be watching the match statistics, so hopefully we'll see a lot more positions in the next match that we offer. Sure. Well, Janet, your uh, reference to uh, three different slogans, that's quite interesting. Are we going to see buttons with those slogans on? At, uh, I don't know. You might. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me thank uh, Douglas Shekelhoff and Janet Teeters of the ASHP staff for speaking with me. We've been talking about uh, the summary that's in AJHP about the Pharmacy Residency Capacity Stakeholders Conference held in February 2011. That concludes this podcast. For more information, please visit www.ajhp.org.